Vibrant. 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 Music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. Welcome to episode 76 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and this is the fifth episode in our series about the essential ingredients of well-balanced and holistic music lessons. Welcome back, beautiful teachers. I hope you've been enjoying this series so far. I'm really enjoying putting it together for you guys. This is the fifth episode, as I mentioned in the intro of this series. So if you haven't listened to the first four, that's from episode 72 on. I recommend you go back to the start. Go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 72. That's just the digits, 72. And that'll take you to episode 72 so that you can start this off and it'll all make sense and piece together. So far in this series, we've talked about ear training, technique, reading, and theory. And we've got two more elements to go, two more essential ingredients to great music lessons, in my opinion. Today and then next week, and then the following week, we'll be talking about how they all fit together, which I'm sure is the episode that you're all dying to hear because the most challenging part of all of this is fitting it all together. But first, we need to look at each of these elements in turn. And today we're talking about rhythm. That's our fifth music lesson ingredient that's super important, is the teaching of rhythm. And rhythm goes beyond, as we know, far beyond just doing some clapping drills out of an exercise book. That's not what rhythm means. And that's not sufficient to teach our students great rhythm skills. So why is it important to teach our students great rhythm skills in a thorough, comprehensive way. Well, I'll start with this, which is what I often tell my students when they do something like randomly skip a rest at the end of a bar. And that's that if we had someone listening to us right now, they were sitting in the audience and they have never studied music and they don't consider themselves musical, although we all know that everyone is musical, they don't consider themselves musical, they don't have any training, they're not confident in their ability to understand music. If you play a wrong note, they're not going to notice, even if they've heard the piece before. If you play with poor expression, lack of dynamics, tone, poor tone quality, they probably might not notice. Okay, they're not that orally aware. But if you skip a beat, I promise you they will notice because they're going to be tapping their foot to what you're playing and at some point it's not going to compute. And they won't know why because they don't have the training to understand that, but they will get a little bit of a furrowed brow and go, huh, and then try to find the beat again. Almost everyone will do that if you skip a beat. That is why rhythm is the most important thing. It's essential. The most essential of all our essential music lesson ingredients in a way. Because if you play a piece with poor rhythm, everyone is going to notice. And if you play a piece with wrong notes, hardly anyone is going to notice. Now the other reason why rhythm is so essential is because without great rhythm, you can't play with others. You can't play music with other people if your rhythm is poor. And this is something where pianists are usually the worst, I'm sorry to say, because most other instruments, while you're learning it, maybe pianists and the voice, I'm not sure, but most other instruments anyway, you will end up in 
the school orchestra or the school band or something, you will end up playing with other people. And therefore, your rhythm will have to sort itself out fairly early on. But if you learn piano, you can keep going for quite a long time with poor rhythm skills and just use your own made-up version of rhythm. And yeah, it might not sound great and people might not always be able to tap their foot in time with you, but you could sort of get by. And then one day, you're going to play a duet. Or you're going to play an accompaniment part for someone, for your friend who plays the violin. And it's not going to work, because if you don't have good rhythm, you can't play with other people. They're going to have to try and adjust to your made-up and inconsistent version of what the rhythm should be. Right? And it's essential that they're able to play with other people, because that's one of the great joys of playing music, actually, especially as an amateur. Your student is going to go on to play music just for fun, just in their free time, later in life. They need to be able to play with others. They need to be able to have jam sessions or play duets or play in a uh, chamber music ensemble, whatever their particular genre is. They should be able to collaborate with other musicians. Another reason why rhythm is probably my most essential music lesson ingredient, even though I've put it fifth, is because it is really hard to go back and teach this stuff later. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it is one of the hardest things. I've taken on a lot of transfer students in my time from maybe questionable teaching methods, maybe just inconsistent attendance or something. But I've taken on a lot of them who have holes in their knowledge, serious gaping holes, not just here or there and bits and pieces, but big areas that they haven't covered properly. And the ones who haven't covered rhythm properly are the hardest. They really are. I absolutely, I do my best to teach those students and I bring them up to level and we work on it together, but that takes the most work. If a student comes to me and, you know, they've been taught great rhythm skills, but they just can't recognize notes and name them, or they're not, even if they're not reading by interval, they're reading based on note names, that's actually easier for me to fix. From my experience, it takes less, fewer hours to fix that issue. Whereas if someone comes to me and they've paid no attention to rhythm and they have really poor rhythm skills, it takes years and years. I mean, I have a student in particular right now who, yes, she would have had trouble with rhythm anyway, but it wasn't focused on either when she came to me after two years of lessons, a year and a half, I think. It wasn't focused on and she would have been a student who struggled with rhythm anyway. I've now had her for four years and it's finally starting to come together. It takes that long sometimes to fix these things. So that's a big reason why rhythm is one of those things that I believe in including right from the get-go in a very strong way. So what does it mean to me to teach rhythm properly then? What does it mean to include it in this very strong way right from the get-go? What am I talking about? Well, the very basic thing is that students are able to feel the beat. And this is something It's easy to skip over because we feel like it's instinctive and most students have this ability. Most students over the age of, let's say, 10 do, although there will be quite a few who won't. So you'll want to catch that early. But on the younger end of the spectrum is where this can be of huge benefit. Really teaching students to feel the beat when they're little preschoolers in my mini musicians class at three or four years old 
they develop that then, some of them already come to me with it, right? But if they don't, which I'd say is about 50-50 whether they have any sense of the beat or pulse of the music at that stage, if they don't have it, and we work to develop it in those beginning years, it doesn't take that much, right? It takes repetition, but it doesn't feel arduous, it doesn't feel like we're holding them back or anything because they are at that young age. So by working lots on the beat in the beginning lessons, with any age of students, you'll discover whether they do have that internal sense of the pulse of the music and whether you have that basis to go on or whether you're going to have to fill in that gap. And if you are going to have to work extra on that, it's better to know right away so that you can start incorporating that in each and every lesson, lots and lots of beat work. Because otherwise they're not the guy sitting in the audience who notices that his foot has stopped tapping in time to the music, right? And you don't want your students to be in that position. Rhythm is a lot more than beat though, isn't it? So the next stage or the next section, I guess, of teaching rhythm is to teach students to internalize rhythm patterns. And I emphasize that it's about internalizing those rhythm patterns, not just intellectualizing them. I've met plenty of students who could count out a rhythm for me, but they don't feel it. And if they don't feel it, it's very hard to work on because we think it's baked into the way we count it. If we count one and two and three, four, they can count one and two and three, four. That has no sense of beat even, and it's totally random with the rhythm, but you can do the counting in any speed and in any rhythm, right? So you have to actually have internalized that in order to put the counting on top of that and help it for it to help you make sense of the rhythm, right? It's an intellectual exercise. It's not really about feeling rhythm, which is why I start my students with ta and titi. But even that, it doesn't have anything in it that stops you from doing it wrong. You have to do lots and lots of practice with someone who does feel those rhythms, the teacher, so that you can internalize the sense of all of those rhythm patterns. So my rhythm vocab cards are the way that I do this with work on this a lot with students as well as a lot of exercises from my book which is called Rhythm in Five. As well as internalizing these rhythm patterns and starting to develop this rhythmic vocabulary over time, we want students to understand the relationship of note values. So this is on some level an intellectual exercise, but they have to understand the relationship of them, not the definitions of them. Eventually they have to understand the definitions, of course, But what I want them to understand more than that a dotted minimum or a dotted half note is three beats, I want them to understand that it's three crotchets or three quarter notes, right? That's much more important, understanding the relationship of the different note values, because it's all relative. It's about how they fit together and combined with the tempo that you're actually playing at or tapping at or whatever. Because you can play two quavers and then a crotchet the same way as playing two crotchets and a minimum. It all depends on the context. If you understand those relationships, that's the most important part of understanding note values, is how they relate to each other. So that when you then explore compound time and things, they actually make a lot more sense because they already sort of on some level understand that you can fit three quavers inside a dotted crotchet. So they need to understand the patterns and internalize how they feel. They need to be able to feel the beat 
and they need to understand the relationship of note values. These are the essentials of teaching rhythm to me. Part of teaching that rhythm really well and developing great rhythm skills is working on this stuff with exercises like I've been talking about. But it's also about providing opportunities where they have no choice but to play with good rhythm. The easiest way to do this is to get students to play together. That's why I love, well, one of the many reasons why I love teaching in my buddy lesson format. So for those of you who aren't familiar, I teach mostly in buddy lessons, which means that students come for a solo lesson for a certain period of time, 30 minutes, and then they have 30 minutes after that with the next student. So they overlap in the middle. And because I have those two students together, I have so many more opportunities for them to play together. And if you're playing with another student, you have to play in time, whether it's a written out duet or whether it's improvising together, even if you're improvising, right? And I have one student as a sort of secundo or the accompaniment part, and they're even just playing semi-breeze. They're just holding ta, two, three, four on each note. Well, without talking about it or having some lengthy discussion or explanation, the student who's on the primo side of the piano, the student who's improvising, will quickly discover that if they play kind of random rhythms, it's not going to sound very good. But if they play at the same tempo, you know, whether they're doing crotchets against the semi-reeves or whatever they happen to be doing, whatever rhythm patterns they happen to be doing, they will quickly learn that those things fit together and some don't. In the beginning, I'll see this a lot with newer students, where they just kind of play randomly. And it quickly settles down after a few weeks of doing these exercises because they want to produce stuff that sounds good. Of course they do. You don't need to tell them to strive for that, do you? They just need some time to develop the sense of what does sound good. And it's going to be rhythms that actually go with the accompaniment part. So that's one aspect of it. You've also got written out duets or wrote work that we're doing or songs that we play by ear. That's all stuff that we play together so that students have no choice but to play with good rhythm. And it really is a great experience for them. If you can't get more than one student together, then you can achieve the same thing with you playing the duet or with backing tracks. And I think both is good. If you have a student who really struggles with rhythm, you playing a duet, it can work, but it often isn't enough because as a teacher, now you may be better at this than me, I'm, I do my best and I tell them I'm going to be the strictest, most metronomic player ever. And you have to, you know, if you fall off the train, you have to run and catch up and get back on the train wherever I am. And I do my best to stick to that. And that does do a certain amount. But there's only so much of that you can do with a student who really isn't getting it, really isn't feeling the rhythm and playing with good rhythm throughout, okay? Because they know you could fix the problem for them. Maybe they shouldn't because I shouldn't ever do it. But if we're working on a duet that we're preparing for a concert, of course I'm going to adjust to catch up with them and find them when they lose their place and all that stuff. And it's really tempting as a teacher. So that combined with work with backing tracks is a great way to go for students who are really struggling with rhythm. Students also need to understand it's important. So I mentioned at the start when I was talking about why rhythm is important, that's the explanation I give to students, right? About how that guy is sitting in the audience and his foot tapping isn't working anymore. I tell them that. That, combined with experiencing playing with others, helps them to understand why it's important. Some students straight away know it is, because it doesn't sound right to them if they play it with poor rhythm. 
but a lot of students don't quite have that much awareness yet, or they're not listening enough to what they're playing to correct themselves in that way. So having little explanations that you give them combined with lots of playing with others will help them to feel why it's important. I hope you'll join me again next week for our final important lesson ingredient, which is going to be all about creative work. And I toyed with calling this something else. I'll talk about it more next week. But basically, we're talking about composing and improvising and all of that stuff next week. I'm excited to chat to you about that. And then the follow-up episode after that, where we bring it all together, will be the final part of our series before we break for our Christmas break on the podcast. I hope you'll join me for that then. Before I let you go, though, I want to let you know that if you're listening to this right as it comes out, you can still sign up for our lead sheet webinar. So that's going to be at vibrantmusicteaching.com lead to sign up for the webinar. And I hope I'll see some of you there. If you want to get access to tons of fantastic, creative and fun rhythm drills to do with your students and to develop these skills we've been talking about today, you can sign up to the Vibrant Music Teaching membership at vmt.ninja and get access to the full Rhythm in 5 course as well as tons of other great rhythm games and activities. 